This is iUniverse Radio, brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is your opportunity to hear firsthand from authors about their new books. It's an in-depth discussion about the author's passion about the development of his or her story in their own words. It's an inside look into the characters and the plot and how the story all came together. Here is iUniverse Radio. The title of the book, Customer Karma. Why stop at a one-night stand when you can have a lifetime relationship with your customers? And the author is Arjun Sen. And Arjun joins us now on iUniverse Radio. Hello, Arjun. Hi. Good morning, Steve. Thank you for having me on the show. Great to have you with us. Now, customer karma, I think we all know, have somewhat of a feeling about karma, but I think it would be really good for you, from your point of view, to define it from your point of view. What is good karma? You know, my definition of karma comes from learnings from my grandma. She would tell me stories growing up, and one of the things she would instill in me is karma is all about what you do. It's all about the focus on the word is about action. And based on what you do, you get reaction back. So in some ways, it is very similar to Newton's third law of physics, which talks about every action has an equal and opposite reaction. But the only difference in the concept of karma is causality, which is you need to do great karma to your customers or in life, not because you expect the results, but just because it is the right thing to do. And by doing the right thing, good and right things happen. Absolutely. And you put yourself in the best position to get results back. I like what you say. Good karma is cultivated by heart felt good action. So people will really feel that sincerity from you. Totally, absolutely. And that's one of the things which are very important is if you and I were in a business dealing, for me to truly understand what Steve needs is incredibly important. And that's the reason for me to engage from my heart. Without that, it would become giving you service level one with option two mechanically, which does not touch you. So what you talked about is very important, is good karma from the heart. Good karma from from the heart, and I think we can all relate on a real basic level. We're talking about relationships. It doesn't matter whether it's business, family, friendship, uh, just the meeting that new person, uh, you know, in a in a a store or at a restaurant or in a business setting. It's all about how we treat others. Absolutely. Absolutely. So let's talk about this, I guess, one thing of this real-life relationship, customer relationship. You can't put business relationships away in some kind of a business box. It's a real-life relationship, as you emphasize. So... Tell us about the importance of first impression. So to me, just like if you meet a person, the same way with a business, when a customer comes in, the first instant the customer decides whether this relationship 
or there the brand has any connection or availability with the person. So that is incredibly important to manage because this happens spontaneously from deep inside. The same way in a date, the first impression, at the end of the first impression, you put the person in one of three buckets. One, what am I doing here? Versus, wow, I see amazing potential. Versus, I don't know, let's see how it goes. So the first impression is a great place to start. So it is a process. It needs to be carefully not only thought through, but felt through. That's what I'm hearing from you. Again, it all comes from feelings from the heart. Absolutely. You've written your book in a corporate language that we can relate to. Now, there's many uh, business books out there, and often, as you put it, they're really not relatable to what you're going through. So you've got a, a vast background. Tell us a little bit about your background so we can better understand how you can understand what we might go through. Yes, so to me, in the corporate world, I have been in the restaurant industry where every experience is created for every guest, one guest at a time. Started at Pizza Hut, then went to Boston Market, then Einstein Bagels, and then was at Papa John's. And after that, when I started corporate uh, consulting with Corporate World, I worked with a lot of hospitality, retail, and restaurants. And in every case, what I learned is something that you related to earlier was when we focus on customer relations, we always started with customers. But over time, what I real realized is the relationship and the commonality about relationships, whether it is customers or human relationships every day, is similar. And once you get relationships, then it's very easy to see what you would do in the corporate world. And if I may give one quick example, once you see the relationship, if you were single, Steve, for a second, would you put an ad in a dating site with your picture with a coupon on it <laughs> go out with me over the next two weeks and I buy you a drink with a fine print up to $6. <laughs> so if you won't do that in a relationship, why are we trying to buy customer business in, in our transactions with these short-term gimmicks which does not build the long-term relationship? So it's like you just pointed out in the restaurant world, every time a new customer walks through, that's a new person, a very unique individual, and they need to be treated that way. Absolutely. So to me, I look at marketing is very simple. It is an invitation from the heart. And if marketing is an invitation, and let's say if my family invited Steve, your family to our place, I could then greet you in one of two reactions. One is, wow, Steve, buddy, I can't believe you made it. So excited. Or the other reaction could be, really? You're back again? I can't believe it. So to me, the whole thing goes with connection from the heart and how do you respond? Because that's what the customer cares about. So it's about customer satisfaction. Yes, it is. What's the best way then to develop this long-term relationship when you're going to avoid these gimmicks, as you pointed out? What is the best way for 
having this continual relationship that literally is going to bring back the customer. And, of course, the bottom line, as you pointed out, and I think we all understand this, it's about the cash register ringing. Absolutely. You got it right. At the end, it's all about the cash register, how many times you open and how much money you put in. And if you start right there, the valuation of a customer makes us all change our perspective. If I had a coffee shop and you came in and asked for a free refill, and on the board it says $2 for a refill, I will hesitate giving you the refill. But on the other side, if I right away sit, pause for a second, and realize Steve comes twice a week, every time spends you know, approximately $10, which is $20 a week, approximately $1,000 a year, which is $5,000 a year, the light bulb goes on. I realize my whole business success depends on you, Steve, which means instead of now making you look at the board which says refills are $2, I ask you to sit down by saying, Steve, would you just sit down for a second? I'll brew a fresh pot of coffee and bring it to you with the condiments. Because I really think that whole attitude shift changes. And I think once you feel it, you don't need user manual or anything else. You really need to put one customer at a time, and business becomes incredibly successful. So you are using real-life business scenarios to point out how to do this in your book. Absolutely. And to me, that's the part about the book is you would not find... 23 laws of customer satisfaction because you know those rules and laws don't work the book is more about you calling your corporate buddy who shares his success and failure stories and i emphasize failures are equally important from success so each person who reads the book will have their own takeaway on how to use it in their world so there's no one solution but i'm just sharing my experiences from different corporate experiences. Well, I want to read a couple of, of, of folks who have read your book and have given you uh, quite a great review. One said, Arjun has a brilliantly simple way of looking at a business through the eyes of its customers. If more brands could do the same, true customer loyalty would be less elusive. That is... Uh, I think eye-opening, if you pardon me, but through the eyes of its customers. That's the way we have to look at our business. Yeah, first of all, you know, I'm really flattered with the review. And if I take everything I've talked about in the book, to me, it's all about one reader. If one reader likes it and feels that he or she got value from the book and takes time to write this review, I really think... You know, the journey I started, I have accomplished, and I'm really fortunate and grateful that at least one person feels this way. And that, I think, is the power in every business, is one person at a time giving them what they need of actual true value that connects to them. Another reviewer said, after, re after reading Customer Karma, you will find it impossible to think about your customer interactions in the same old ways. It's more about, it's much more than just the pleasant hello and uh, how's everything and is everything 
well with your product that we've shared with you. It's it's really, I guess it's a, as you've put it already, it's not a formula. It's a real-life interaction with sincerity coming from the heart. I, I guess that's the best way, as we've already pointed out. How else can you talk about it? Absolutely, and that's the part, if you look at, is in a relationship, no two days are the same, which means if you are living a relationship with your significant other with a user manual, it just doesn't work. This is not a train that goes online. It just flies anywhere and everywhere. There are everyday challenges, and that's the part where the reflection from the heart comes out. And the second thing, if I point out to this particular review, what the person reflected so well is once you get the commonality between relationships and when I told you about the example of using a coupon in dating you were amused because you know we don't do that so I really think that is the power is once each person in our own way get the parallel of relationships I really feel this would be life changing for people because they cannot go back to the old way of customer service using a user manual. And as you point out, your book will not give the reader one road map for all situation. Instead, it is sure to trigger thoughts on what you can do differently. So that is your ultimate goal, is to help people get out of their comfort zone and start looking at customers in a much more sincere, heartfelt way. And absolutely. And I have fun doing it because, think, if you... When you read the review of the two, you know, individuals who, it just hit, you know, hit hit me right deep in my heart. I just felt something amazing, and that is so addictive. So to me, I think that's exactly what each person, once they go little bit outside their regular routine jobs, and touch customers' lives. First of all, the values of the reward and the returns that they would get is immense. But more importantly, it just adds excitement and meaning to jobs, which I don't think exist in a routine, you know, just coming in, open a cash register, follow schedule A, B, C, D. It just doesn't, it's not there in that particular of a mechanical robot-like job. The title of the book, Customer Karma. We've been talking to the author, Arjun Sen. Arjun, what's the best way to get your book? You can get the book at Amazon.com or BarnesandNoble.com. It's also available at iTunes or anywhere you can get uh, digital copies of the book. You can also check the website of the book, Customer Karma, Karma with a K, customerkarma.org. Customerkarma.org. Well, thank you so much, Arjun, for joining us on iUniverse Radio. Thank you, Steve, for having me on the show. I truly appreciate this. You have a great day. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. Have you heard? The pages of American Patchwork and Quilting Magazine come to life on our new weekly online radio show, American Patchwork and Quilting. Join Pat Sloan, our blogging and quilt designer host, as she talks about the latest trends, ideas, and inspirations. Her guests include quilt pattern designers, authors, quilt shop owners, and our editors, all quilters just like you. Call in with your questions. Get quilting tips from industry experts. Learn about free patterns. 
Hear behind-the-scenes stories from our magazines, American Patchwork and Quilting, Quilt Sampler, and Quilts and More. Get the scoop on free stuff and find out more about the best independent quilt shops in North America. To listen to a live show, tune in Monday at 4 p.m. Eastern. Just log on to allpeoplequilt.com slash radio. To hear past shows, go to iTunes and search for American Patchwork and Quilting Radio. We hope you'll join us because we know that quilting changes everything. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings from iUniverse. This is J. Douglas Barker. The book is titled War Ready in My Father's Shadow. And joining me from Texas, near the Houston area, is author Mary Lou Darst. Welcome to the program, Mary Lou. Thank you, Jay. Thank you very much. Well, this is an interesting book. Most uh, most of my authors, a lot of authors, will write uh, biographical sketches and uh, and and uh, books about their history and their life. It seems to be something sometimes that's a reflection or a, a way to honor parents or or upbringing. What was the purpose behind writing War Ready? Well, there were a couple of things. First of all, um, I began to think that maybe my grandsons should know the stories, know about their grandmother. And then I also wanted to honor my brother and my parents. Um, it was not such an easy life, and we did it, and uh, I did want to honor my parents and my brother with the stories. And and thirdly, um, military families. Uh, not, not much is given to military families. It's always right the husband, the brother, the cousin, the men that go off to war, which are so deservedly of of um, credits, but military families uh, serve too in lots of different ways. Absolutely. You, your book really covers your upbringing till about age 16 when the military service, uh, I guess, dissipated in your family. Is that correct with your father? Yes. And, yes. and where was where, where was his primary service and what time frame are we talking about? Well, we're talking like from the end of World War II through the cold to the almost the end of the Cold War. Uh, so, but I was born in 1943, and he was away. He was in the war in England, and then when he came back, we moved. Uh, we moved every 18 months, and sometimes twice in one assignment from one neighborhood to another. Something. Uh, we lived in Alaska. Uh, I went to the first grade before Alaska was a state. And then um, in the middle 40s, and then uh, we lived in Japan seven years after the war, and six years later we lived in Munich, Germany. Yeah, you, and in between, we lived in lots of states. You also <laughs> mentioned the different wars that your father was involved in. What was his capacity? Was he in leadership in these uh, military uh, assignments, or how was he? How would you describe it? He was an army engineer, and he never talked about his work or what he did and we were not to ask i i can't say but he was uh, at one time he was a commander in japan when we lived there of of the engineers he was something like that he had terrific leadership qualities so i would not be surprised if he were in leadership in many things would would you call your observations of him in hindsight maybe ptsd that was uh, part of uh, part of that environment that family uh, structure yes my brother and i often talked uh while i was doing the book and uh, we both believe that 
he had strong symptoms of PTSD. But like all men, all warriors, soldiers of that period, nobody talked about their experiences. Yes. No one talked about it. Yes, he he had some difficulty, especially with uh, with Korea, the Korean War. If I understand your your book correctly, right? We never even knew that he was in Korea. Wow! No one, my brother and I, no one said. And when we said goodbye to him, my mother was just dissolved in tears, and he left, and no one ever said. I mean, when he wrote letters or anything, no one ever said anything about Korea to us, and then. After about a year and a half, we were my brother and my mother and I were on our way to Nara, Japan, and he, he met us there. Interesting. And we did not know he'd even been there, my brother and I, until we were taking things out of his dresser after my parents had passed away. And we found at the bottom of drawer certificates and medals for service in Korea. Hmm. We just fainted. We couldn't believe it. You anyway. you have titled your book War Ready, and then the subtitle mm-hmm. In My Father's Shadow. In My Father's Shadow right. has a significance to you. What is that? Um, I was in his shadow. <laughs> he was a strong <laughs> parent. Yes. He was military through and through, and he expected everyone around him to be the same way. And um, so that's that's probably where that came from. Did, did you? Did you? I, 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 as as is obvious in your book, you love your dad. But was there also an element of uh, concern or fear or uh, awe that yeah, also accompanied that? Yeah, yeah. There was a lot of that. A lot of that. Of the, lot of, of the time that you spent in traveling about the globe, which was your favorite place to live? I have to say, not a Japan. It, we, as I said, we lived there seven years after the war. It was so different. It was still, there was still a lot of old Japan there. The women were beautiful, kimono, zorian geita, um, and there were, there were people in Western clothes, I mean, skirts and men with slacks and, and shirts, um, but it was still very much old Japan. And um, very, very different. Everything was very different. And I was 10 years old. I was five feet tall. And I was taller than most Japanese people. Fascinating. Um, even the women who wore Zorian geita. The geitas were maybe three, maybe three or four inches off the ground. And I was still taller. And it was it was an amazing experience. Your observations of Germany. You also lived in Germany after the war. Right. About 13 years later. It was obvious that there had been an absolutely horrific war. 13 years later, there was still so much, so many, the ruins, you know, the, the bullets and all, the, all those things that, that you know about already. Yes, the history was still still evident. Right. You have right. also mentioned something that was, uh, I guess, curiosity in my reading aspect of it. You, on your final uh, return to the United States by ship, you were on board and right. uh, writing letters, and you looked up, and there was this strange-looking gentleman over in the corner that seems to be uh, seemed to be fascinated by you and your appearance. 
share with my listeners a little of that story and uh, who that was. Well, you're kind to, to introduce that scene like that. It was Salvador Dali, the uh, the artist, painter. Um, he was very dramatic looking, his little pencil, thin mustache that curled on the edges, edge, edges and stared, you know. And uh, my mother came and whispered to me while I was writing letters on the stationery of the ship, and uh, she said, that's Salvador Dali. And I said, who is he? Who is Salvador Dali? She said, an artist. And so I, I didn't look at him. I didn't know him. I didn't want him to stare at me. I finished writing, and I looked up, and he was still staring. But I think that was just his demeanor, mm-hmm. and I, we we saw them later in the in the lounge after supper. He was sitting with his lovely wife and still staring at everyone. So amazing. That was his demeanor. He was a very intense, yeah. an intense individual. Maybe he, making mental notes for yeah. for sketches later. Who knows? You have uh, right. also included a lot of interesting photos in your book. Uh, where, which of the of the photos do you think our our readers are going to find most interesting? Well, there's some from Alaska with the snow, and um, there's a picture my mother took of us in the spring, and in the same in the same position in the same area in the front yard. In winter, it's just <laughs> covered with white and bundled up in padded. Um, winter winter snowsuits. Um, the ones from Japan uh, are most most especial to me. Uh, there's a picture of us with our little maid Hatsi in front of the old Japanese house where we lived. Um, Hatsi was like a member of our family. She was so dear. And um, then there's one in the first chapter, first page of the story of. Munich, uh, with Mr. Gruppenberg, Helga, and myself, and we're all in bathing suits. Mm-hmm. Mr. Gruppenberg has on his robe. Um, the Gruppenberg family were family to us. They were so kind to us, and we did things with them, went places with them at their house and at our house. So they were they were like family to us. And if you don't mind my saying, um, in twenty. 20- we were invited to Munich to give a book talk and reunited with Helga and Gerhardt. Hmm. Um, invited us to their home. It, gosh, after 53 years, I can't tell you what that's like. And it's hard to think about it without crocodile tears, so I'll oh. let it go. <laughs> your your book is has taken really, although it is a biographical sketch of your life and your family's life, it really could be looked at in some respects as a a narrative or just a novel uh, because you've done a conversational style. Was that the best way to describe what you've done? Well, yes, and I, I appreciate that. Uh, I just felt like I was telling my story to people, but I was writing it down instead of telling it. Thank you. And how long did it take to complete? Well, um, like I said, I wrote two books at one time. And I was in a writing class and uh, at the time. And so I would say um, maybe four or five years. There was an incredible amount of emotion that I relived while writing that book. And um, 
that I had not experienced um, growing up and um, that emotion came forward and expressed itself and so it was a growing experience for me to do the book. I grew a lot as a person. As as a writer now, an author, looking back over what you have penned, is there something that came through that you didn't really plan on in the first place, uh, such as a, maybe an underlying message or a th- or something that will will encourage or inspire the reader? Well, that's very kind. Um, well, my relationship with my father uh, was very tricky, and that's um, that's very apparent in the book. Um, and in our relationships with people in other cultures, uh, that was a wonderful experience, and I'm intensely grateful for the travel experiences that we had. Um, living in other cultures, being part of that culture, learning languages. Um, It it was just an incredible experience, and I hope that I've imparted that in the books that other people can see and realize how important it is to know other cultures. Well, thank you for sharing your memoir and the process of writing War Ready. In My Father's Shadow, my guest, Mary Lou Darst. Mary Lou, my listeners will want to get a copy of this or need to get a copy of this. It's part uh, travelogue, part personal family history, and uh, just a a good read. How do they get a hold of War Ready? Thank you kindly. Um, It's available on Amazon.com and BarnesandNoble.com and iUniverse.com, all three of those. Is there a possibility you have a website developed yet? I I do, but I don't have it within my brain. Okay, not a problem. They can <laughs> do a, they can do a search under your name. Uh, two two words or two names: Mary Lou L O U and Darst is spelled D A R S T. If they do a search under that, they will be able to also locate okay. uh, War Ready and probably your website. So, thank you again for joining thank me today you. and sharing your story. Blessings. Thank you kindly. My pleasure, Fry Universe. This is Jay Douglas Barker. You're listening to iUniverse Radio. We'll be back right after these messages. It's the Fitness Minute with fitness expert, Annette Hammond. When your focus is to lose weight or maintain your present weight, exercising effectively to burn the most calories is crucial. You want to give yourself every advantage to burn as many calories as possible. One good tip is to do your strength training exercises standing up so you can keep your heart rate up Another tip is to perform multi-joint exercises when you can. For example, as you're doing a forward lunge, add bicep curls while you're coming up from the lunge. Another example is to execute a wide squat. And as you're coming up from the squat, perform a shoulder press. By doing these multi-joint exercises, you're putting more demands on your body, keeping your heart rate up, and working more muscles at the same time. The goal is to burn the most calories during that workout. I'm Annette Hammond. To hear other fitness and weight loss tips, visit our website at AnnetteHammond.com. Welcome back to iUniverse Radio. Greetings for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. The title of the book is Anger Management 
And the uh, graphics on the cover say uh, this, what's in the cup? Joining me from Illinois in the United States of America is author Mark Strickland. Thank you, sir, for joining me today. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thank you for having me on the show. I love the fact that this is a relatively short book. You have uh, an extensive background in psychology and other areas, uh, doing workshops and mentoring and and uh, helping other businesses and individuals. This book is an outcropping or an extension of that work, if I'm understanding it correctly. And it's uh, a short read, 102 pages or so. How did you decide that you wanted to put something in print? Well, um, thank you for the question. I, I did want to keep it very small and simple for that reason. Um, a lot of the books I read on anger management are very lengthy and technical and very hard to get through. And so I just wanted to break this down into anger's most simplest forms and some ideas and techniques to to, to deal with anger. And the book came out of um, my seminars that I was teaching, working with those struggling with addictions. I do volunteer work, um, meeting in transitional shelters. And so the book came out of that. Uh, And I'm excited about it and uh, looking forward to seeing where it goes from there. Was there any family references that uh, maybe spurred you to get involved in this this area of the industry? No, not really. Um, My own personal uh, struggle with anger uh, growing up in a home where you heard the message, uh, you shouldn't be angry, you shouldn't be angry, you shouldn't be angry, and not really having any role models or anybody that showed or, or explained that it's okay to be angry, just uh, be appropriate in uh, your response to it. So um, the book is really uh, part of the journey of my own personal life. Uh, excellent. Thank you for sharing that. You have, uh, of course, dealt with or are dealing with a subject matter that all of us, I think, deal with to some capacity. I have met people that claim they never get upset or angry and don't have any stress in their life. Is this something that is environmental in its uh, origins, or is it personality? Is it DNA? How would you? Uh, what have you discovered? Well, uh, like you, I've met people that say they never get angry and. And for the most part, I have a hard time believing that because my definition of what makes you angry is very organic. It's just simply this. You get angry when you have an unmet expectation. Hmm. Now, expectations can take two forms, things that should happen and things that should not happen. So if you're a person that has no expectations in life, and then, yeah, then you won't, you won't get angry. If you don't care about anything, if you just case hurrah hurrah about everything in life then you will not be an angry person but if you care about things passionately you have strong opinions if you have a list of things how should things operate how things should not operate then you are going to experience the emotion of anger and that is just common to all mankind so in in psych class i think the term sanguine is that uh, apply to someone that has very little uh, ups and downs yeah, there's these all types of personality tests. Um, you know, they have different names in my book. I, I use different uh, labels. But, yeah, their personality does play a part in anger management. Um, if, if if you're sanguine, then you're, you are emotionally by nature. But still, anybody in, with a personality 
will struggle with anger or have experienced the emotion of anger if they have an expectation. So in my seminars, I, in my very first part, I stick a $20 bill up on the board or if I'm doing a uh, video presentation and I ask them, if you want to win my money, just give me an event in your life where you got angry and you have no expectations and I'll give you 20 bucks. Uh-huh. I've never lost. I never, never lost. In your 19 chapters, one of them uh, talks about global anger. Is that anger that is outside of the of, of your control, or is that something else? Well, it, 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 it's, yeah, a lot of times you hear me say the word depends, because anger management is just that. It's allowing yourself to experience the emotion of the anger and managing that. And a lot of things depends. It depends. What I call global management is uh, a global anger is all about uh, just not being happy with your life. So you just wake up in the morning mad and angry because things are just not going your way. It's just all over. And sometimes it's very hard to pinpoint why you are angry uh, in specifics because uh, your, your life is not where it should be. Well, let me correct one thing. Uh, rather than 19, page, uh, 19 chapters, I'm sorry, it's 23 chapters. Uh, I have a family member, I remember as a child, that just, for whatever reason, had a lot of anger and uh, frustration when they were, you know, two, three, four years old. Do you see that in some children where they just are, are have difficulty controlling their emotions? That almost indicates that it was uh, something hereditary, perhaps. Is that anything that you have discovered? Yes, so there's always a genetic component, an environmental component uh, involved in how we experience anger and have emotions. We all have different makeups, and yes, there, uh, it's different from person to person. But getting to know yourself and what your personality type is like, and understanding the the positive aspects and the negative aspects of that personality, those that have that kind of trouble controlling their ten, you know, tantrums and stuff like that are usually very passionate people. And when they apply that passion in the right direction can accomplish much. I agree. That That is a, a fantastic analysis. Your book style, what would you say is the way it communicates? Is this a simple-to-read book? Is it one for upper management? Or is it something that everyone can adapt and, and learn from? Well, I, 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 it's almost like... I'm speaking in front of you, just like we're talking today. It's very conversational, and I do speak from a very personal point of view, uh, giving examples from my life. Uh, the first time I wrote the book was very technical. It was like I was writing a thesis paper, and it was hundreds of pages of, um, of technical information and research. And, and um, I, I, I rewrote the book when I hired an artist. To do a book cover and I had some ideas about some cartoons and he was just fabulous and he was amused I rewrote the whole book and, and, and made it almost like anger for dummies type of thing just uh, very simple you have also included some work pages or worksheets ways to self-analysis I'm saying it that way I don't know if that's correct mm-hmm. but there is a chapter that deals with analyticals describe for my readers how they can take a look at their own personality and maybe adapt some of the techniques. Well, I like I said, there's 
different labels for different personalities. I break them down into four areas, uh, driver, um, amiable, analytical, and um, the one starts with the E. Uh, yeah, the E word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, let me anyway. let me go find that it's uh, in chapter uh, chapter twenty two chapter twenty two what you have uh, outlined there is uh, something that can be adaptable to anybody. I was looking at that and wanting to discover you know better ways to dealing with things because I'm expressive and I believe e as in expressive is the word you're trying to find expressive yeah, the, um, expressive is uh, the the other personality. Um, for instance, if if you take the little simple 10-question test, and it's not an all-inclusive, all-knowing test, it just kind of gives you a guideline. If you're a driver type of a personality, um, you're a person that likes to be in charge. You're goal-oriented, so you use anger to get your way. Mm. And that's why you find a lot of people who are drivers yelling and screaming and out of control because we tell people, those kind of people, oh, if you're that angry, go ahead, and, and, and we give in to it. So we re- re- reinforce that type of behavior for those that have a driver personality. They uh, use anger to manipulate and to get things done. Mm. But if you're an expressive type of person, um, you just like to be, your, your goal is to be recognized, and you're you're the, the sanguine type of person, up and down, emotional, and you just want to be recognized. So your motivation in sharing, a lot of times your feelings, is just for people to acknowledge. And the problem is, is not everybody is expressive. And when people share too much feeling, we kind of put up our fingers in the form of a cross and say, TMI, too much right. information. So right. uh, go ahead. I'm sorry, Jay. Yeah, there's and there's a blend of, of those personality traits in many people as well, I would think. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, you you have to eat the chicken and leave the bones. You can't, you know. We we we're probably a little bit of all of them, you know. So, yeah, and and then the amiable person, their 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 goal in life is just to be accepted, and they just want to get along, and they're usually don't have this outburst of displays of anger because they don't want to offend anybody, they don't want to rock the boat. So if you're an amiable person, you're a people person. You'll just kind of suck it up and let it go. But then if you're an analytical person, you, you have the priority of being right. You want to be right. And so you're argumentative a lot of times. And you're trying to prove your way. And you do research. And and um, so in your anger, you, you have the tendency to be quiet but seek ways of getting even and revenge because mm. you're smart. Mm. <laughs> or at least you think you are. <laughs> That's correct. <laughs> you introduce this book to my listeners in a couple of sentences, the way you would to someone on the street that doesn't know uh, Mark Strickland as an author. Well, I would tell people, and this conversation comes up quite a bit when I'm in um, different fundraisers and events, and, and I'm sitting next to lawyers and judges and circuit clerks, and, and, and I tell them, you know, ang- I first I ask them, is, is angry? Is it okay to be angry? And inevitably, most people say yes. Hmm. So being angry is not the problem. It's how we um, respond to our anger, and that is in the cultural uh, setting. So what's good in other places is not so good in other places. So let me just simply say this: it's okay to be angry, and your anger comes from unmet expectations. So anger management is really managing your expectations. 
Fabulous. The title of the book, again, is Anger Management, and expectation is uh, superimposed over top of that anger word, and subtitled A Simple Guide to Managing Life's Expectations, uh, colorfully illustrated on the front cover and uh, some on the inside. Uh, again, a short read, read 107 pages. Uh, it is a wonderfully done book and simple for anyone that might be dealing with anger issues in their life or know someone that is, this is a great book to pass along. Uh, Mark, where can my listeners get a copy of Anger Management? Well, they can get it online with Amazon or Barnes & Noble or um, or from iUniverse. Excellent. And they can also do a search under your name, Mark Strickland, S-T-R-I-C-K-L-I-N, and uh, locate this. And uh, are there books in the future? Have you perhaps uh, decided to do a sequel? Um, I've I've been asked to do that. There's a lot of interest in how do you deal with angry people, hmm. and I do have a chapter in that. But that's that's a very interesting topic because a lot of people say, you know, I don't have an anger problem, but my husband does, my oh. wife does, my <laughs> uncle does. Oh yeah. And how do you deal with that? Hmm. So maybe in the future I'll do a little bit more expansion on how to deal with angry people. Hopefully you'll let us uh, visit visit again if that, that should take place. Mark, have you developed a website as yet? Uh, yes, I, I do, Jay. It's www.angerexpectations.com. And expectations with an S, correct? Correct. Fantastic. Again, the title, Anger Management, the author, Mark Strickland. Great visiting with you, sir. Best of luck with this book, and I would urge my listeners, everyone knows someone that has a problem with anger, so they need to get a copy of your book. Thank you for joining me today. Thank you, Jay, for having me. It was a pleasure. My pleasure for iUniverse. This is Jay Douglas Barker. iUniverse Radio is brought to you by iUniverse, the leading book marketing, editorial services, and supported self-publishing company. iUniverse Radio is produced by TogiNet Radio. Radio with a cutting edge. Radio.